I actually really, really like your face without without the facial hair. Oh, I, I know I don't get a stay in a say in the uh, in the decision making, but you know, if I had a vote, it would be for your face as it is now. Welcome to a much-delayed episode of Battery Mates at the Movies. I am Matthew in London. I'm joined by Toby in Chicago and Kate in Los Angeles. How are, how are we all? Great. Yeah. Just <laughs> really going out, seeing well, lots of really people. Enthusiastic. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, everyone's ready to party. Yeah. Well, uh, we're not... We are... I've been looking at pictures of, of people on patios in Ohio and getting more and more depressed about the likelihood that we're going to get through this. So, and it's raining like hell in Chicago today, so I'm trying to uh, keep my basement from flooding. So, it's been a fun day. Okay, Kate, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Um, Kate, on Friday, I decided... Um, I was like, you know what? This is silly. It's it's Friday at 3.30 p.m. I'm going to start drinking some sparkling rosé. What could the possible downside be? And then at 5 o'clock, I was like very tipsy and very morose. And like, what can I possibly do about dinner? And so I discovered what the downside could be. <laughs> um, drinking by yourself uh, during the day during a quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> That, that that was my learning for the week. You've been you've been signing a lot of books lately, or since we last talked to you. Um, what? How do you? I wouldn't even know about where to begin about signing. What do you do? You do you write a little note in all? Your no, books? you're not allowed. You're not allowed to write uh, notes. I know. Well, so if you if someday, um, hopefully, I'll be able to partner with a local bookstore so that you can order personalized copies that I can mm. go in and sign. But that's all a little bit on hold. Um, because of COVID right now. Um, but so, yeah, so if you don't know who's getting the book, you're not allowed to write a little message. But what I did discover is when your name is Kate Stamen London and you have thousands of books to sign, uh, you're not going to be signing your whole name for long. <laughs> so congratulations to the first hundred or so lucky signers. It's like a giveaway at the ballpark. First hundred uh, books, you're going to get the whole name and everyone else is going to get a sort of cat ass is um, what you're gonna get so you should just congrats. use your twitter handle like yeah, under your, yeah. <laughs> honestly that, that would do it um people get the point yeah well this has been a wonderful episode <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing going on i mean yeah, the, yeah. baseball what matthew what do we want to talk about there's no there's no baseball to talk about um yeah. so we're gonna talk about major league uh, this is a Battery Mates of the Movies episode. And the DVD that I ordered five weeks ago um, has arrived. I watched a film on DVD for the first time in, uh, I mean, years. I mean, it must be 
it must be at least four or five years first time i've watched a dvd and um we're going to talk about that but what machinery did you use did you do you have like a dvd player hooked up to your television do you have a laptop that retains a dvd slot what how were you able to watch this uh, i have a i had a dvd player but the dvd player didn't work so i had to buy a dvd player (laughs) wait what So the DVD player arrived. Luckily, the DVD player arrived the next day and was really cheap. Extremely, like, I mean, almost like, you know, when you buy something online and it's so cheap, you think there's no way that was made ethically. It was like that. (laughs) I I didn't, I didn't just, I couldn't, I didn't have it in me to research ethical DVD player manufacturing. Um, The DVD player was cheaper than the DVD. No. Mm Mm-hmm. To be fair, the DVD was really expensive, so <laughs> it was. Um, this this film was really hard to get hold of. You couldn't stream it in the UK. I had to order it from the US. The shipping was expensive in itself, um, and then I had to buy a DVD DVD player. DVD player arrived uh, Friday afternoon. I watched the movie yesterday, but it now means I can watch DVDs. I've got like boxes of DVDs from when I was like in my early 30s and that's that's nice to be able to watch like the office i can watch the office i can stream the office too but if i want everyone to watch the office on dvd i now can and that's great wow that's a saga i would like to just like for comparison of like matthew's devotion to watching this film versus my devotion to watching this film like when we first were going to watch this it was available for streaming on some cable channel i forget which but i could watch it on apple tv that way but then matthew ordered the dvd so we waited and now we were watching this weekend and this morning when i sat down to watch the film i discovered it was no longer available on streaming so i had to pay 3.99 to rent it from (laughs) apple and i was like 3.99 god so that is the real spectrum of the sacrifices that were made for this episode of Battery Mates. Well, I've seen this movie about 38 times, so I, <laughs> including the Friday night before we were supposed to record last time. So I, I have, I did not watch it again since then, the five weeks between episodes or when we were supposed to record it. So I might be a little rusty, but um, I, have I, would, I would probably have given up. I probably would have given up if I if I hadn't known how much that would have pissed off Justin Brasky, who's been waiting for this episode now for a, for a little while. So um, this one's for you, Justin. I hope I don't I hope I don't ruin this film for you. I don't think it'll be you, so, Matthew. To be clear, we should we should talk about where baseball is. <laughs> we should talk about where baseball is at at some point. But why don't we why don't we do why don't we do the film first and then come back to what well, project restart okay. after. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. Okay, we are here to talk about Major League, the 1989 film starring Charlie Sheen, who I found out today. Uh, his real name isn't Charlie Sheen. Wesley Snipes and a whole Give us the kind of uh, rundown of what what's going on with this movie. 
what is going on with this movie? Okay, so Major League, uh, a baseball classic, which I actually saw for the first time, I think in my 20s, my friend Jonathan, who's a big Mets fan, and we've seen a bunch of games together, he was appalled that I had never seen this movie and asked me to watch it. And I don't remember having the reaction at that time that I had this time, (laughs) which, Uh um, so, okay. So a couple of things about this movie. So first it was written and directed by a guy named David Ward, who wrote the sting, which is my dad's favorite Mm -hmm. movie of all time. And he's also a accredited writer on sleepless in Seattle, which is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies of all time. So some, but you know, obviously, he was was rewritten by Nora Ephron, which I think uh, may account for the different ways we view female characters in Major <laughs> League and Sleepless in Seattle. Um, just for example, so there are a lot of things I actually really like about this movie, and I think there are reasons. It's an enduring classic. I think the structure of it is really good. I love sort of how quickly it pops off the bat to use a baseball metaphor that from the very first scene, we're setting up the whole story and we know exactly what's going to go on in the rest of the movie. I love that sort of the, the assembling the team sequence, which is normally what you would get in the beginning of act two. So if you think about like a heist movie, like 30 minutes into the movie is when they've decided they're going to do the heist and they're like putting the gang together, but we get that in sequence one, like right again, right off the bat in this movie. I love how quickly we get into the story. I love how much this movie understands baseball and we can we can sort of talk about how sort of the big climactic moment isn't sort of a cliche home run. It's it's a bunt. Um, and I absolutely love that. Uh, what I don't love as much. <laughs> I was saying I was saying to Matthew before we started recording that I my proposed title for this episode is why did they do that to Dennis Haysbert, um, one of our nation's most distinguished actors. And they just have had him in a jockstrap doing just an atrocious accent, making a lot of fun of voodoo. Um, that was hard to watch. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was that or the the giant uh, poster cutout of the female owner and taking power back over a woman with power by taking her clothes off. It's hard to pick which moment horrified me the most uh, during the watching of the film. But it really, it made me think of just like sort of the whole like panoply of works of art, books, movies, whatever, from times that aren't right now, where it's just like, you just really have to put up with a lot if you want to enjoy the good things about it, which was how I felt (laughs) watching this film. There are so many good things about it. There are things about it that I really enjoy, but it was like, oh, you guys really made me put up with a lot uh, to to enjoy those parts. So that was my, my initial take. I I think that the um, <laughs> there are some definitely some so if you think this one's cringeworthy um, I wouldn't recommend watching Major League Two <laughs> it gets a lot worse I think um, no I know that the 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 moment Pedro Serrano um, is uh, Dennis Hadesbert is that his name yes the, he's the Allstate guy um, is what I remember him as um, well but I think more importantly. 
Uh, he played um, the president on 24, which at the time uh. during the Bush administration was the most popular show on TV. And as a person who believes that pop culture sort of has a big influence on politics, like I'm a believer in the fact that having Dennis Haysbert be president on that show laid some groundwork for electing Barack Obama. So really the line from Pedro Serrano to Barack Obama, while perhaps not a direct line, is, <laughs> is traceable. <laughs> I love that. So this movie starts... I love the way this movie starts um, with the Randy Newman song, Burn On, um, which is about the Cuyahoga River catching in fire. Um, and it is, it's got some great lyrics. Um, I choose to take them at face value. Cleveland, city of light, city of magic. Um, I'm not sure that's how he, Mr. Newman intended them. But um, I will say, I believe that Randy Newman uh, uh, penning, having the title track or the not title track, the um, opening track, opening credits music, makes this part of the Toy Story canon. I believe this is part of the Toy Story um, outfit now, um, which really casts a different, whole different theme over the entire um, film for me. Uh, so, Toby, I have a question: Is in in Cleveland in real life? Um, when someone hits a home run, do they say that that ball is off the reservation? Um, so all of the, a lot of those, yeah, this is really interesting. There's a lot of, most of the movie was filmed in Milwaukee as, as the home stadium, um, not Cleveland. So that's, that's a, what is it, Milwaukee County Stadium. Um, and, but the, the scoreboard, uh, co uh, like animations are, if not the same from, the old municipal stadium in Cleveland, they're very similar. So um, I believe I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that was a thing that happened in the, in the late eighties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh boy, <laughs> that was a tough. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean yeah. Chief Wahoo was a centerpiece of that uh, of that uh, of that of the branding um, for a long, long time. And when they were, especially when they were very, very bad, uh, and that didn't really go away until they got good in the mid nineties. So. Yeah, this 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 is a very accurate movie. <laughs> the the idea that so um, when they call Lou Brown, who's working at like an auto repair shop, the the, the who eventually the manager of the team, and he tells the the general manager he's got a guy on the other line about some white walls um, as his response <laughs> to whether he wants to manage the Cleveland Indians. Um, that that is that is accurate. That, that is how people felt about being involved with that organization at the time. I, I believe so. I I watched it with uh, with Mary, and she doesn't know anything about baseball. Um, she not didn't. I don't think she knew the name of the Cleveland team. And um, I got some quite pointed questions fairly early on in this movie about what on earth was going on uh, with that. <clears throat> but I mean, even even I know a lot about. Cleveland and the uh, the chat was fairly was fairly on the nose, but uh, it's a very <clears throat> I mean it's reflective of the of the time. It was fairly normal, wasn't it? So I mean I don't know. I mean, Kate, I thought you were going to be much more um, much more down on it than than you were. I, I kind of I kind of um, I, I laughed uh, almost the whole way through the movie, but the moments when I wasn't laughing. I was appalled at the film and at myself for enjoying it. 
because those moments when it isn't funny are very very bad i mean i've thought back to the when we watched the sandlot uh and the scene where he pretends to be drowning so he can kiss the lifeguard um kind of appalled us at that time i think this is a different level <laughs> this is uh <laughs> there are multiple moments the one the the the, the storyline you didn't mention that i thought you would focus on kate is the um i mean just the the, the outright stalking and sexual harassment of um uh i can't remember her name who's the the main female protagonist who's not the owner uh lynn jake's ex-wife lynn that's it yeah i mean <laughs> she tells him that she doesn't want to see him multiple times and then he he literally follows her to her house and walks in unannounced and that happens two more times in the rest of the movie um and that was that was a bit a bit odd i don't think you'd get that in a film nowadays having said that the uh the the, the laugh lines in the in the film are very very good the the, the comment who's the commentator Bob Uecker. I don't know. Harry Doyle. Names. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I watched this film like 24 hours ago. I keep thinking of the just a bit outside. Line, <laughs> and it makes I me can't. laugh every time. I mean, I, I, I'd heard that line before. I just didn't know where it was from. But, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, how are they laying off these pitches? I just, uh, <laughs> it just gets me. Uh, it's been getting me all day. Um, so, so good. Um, so it was a weird, it was a weird, like, uh, it was a hate watch. Uh, 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 I enjoyed it and and hated myself for enjoying it because of the bits that, that weren't enjoyable were horrendous, absolutely horrendous. I think so. It, but Matthew, you touched on something a second ago with the, especially with the, um, all the <laughs> Indians related, um, all that is like, those are basically just like side essentially it's very normal <laughs> you alluded to this, this being a very normal backdrop um and i think what was at the time none of that none of the um uh, peter serrano behavior none of that would have been flagged for uh being you know wrong or in a, you know offensive or anything um and i i think that the thing if anything at the time that 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 love story was so bizarre. Um, I I remember at the time thinking this is a really weird uh, relationship at the very least, and how how in the hell is this working? Like how how is his uh, aggressive? How, how did the writers let that work? <laughs> right, him him driving the bullpen car home uh, to follow her to literally stalk her um, was was a, a different. Um, I don't know. I will take, say take take yeah. the bullpen car. Yeah. If he hadn't if he hadn't been using it to stalk a, a woman who had rejected his advances, would have been one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in the movie. <laughs> but the context of why he was taking the bullpen car was extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. And I almost don't yeah. think they needed any of that. <laughs> Did they need any of that stuff? Like why Kate, you should tell us why they needed the, the they thing... they thought they needed that. So the reason they needed it was to create uh, an emotional uh, connection and arc for for Jake's character so that you care about him, uh, you know, making the winning play at the end of the movie, which like, I, have to, I don't know, I would say it's a quarantine and I and I cry about a lot of stuff. 
uh, lately, but I did cry <laughs> at the end of the film. And I was really surprised um, that, and I really, yeah. So, so digging into this, I think it's funny that you guys were maybe more horrified by this than I was, um, which perhaps speaks to, again, sort of just like, for so many years now so maybe I'm a little bit used to it but this is this is really um a core component of rape culture in the movies is this idea that when a woman says no what she means is pursue me harder um and it's really incredibly ingrained in in basically all of the movies uh you know uh Han Solo has a little flavor of this and um, not the the new Han Solo movie but original Harrison Ford Han Solo and obviously say anything we don't love standing outside the window of a woman who's rejected you all night long. Like we don't, that's not a romantic thing we should be aspiring to. It's not great behavior. Um, so there are lots of examples. Um, and I think Toby to your question of how do the writers think this works? The answer is, but Tom Berenger is so handsome. And like that's that solid argument. He is a very handsome guy. <laughs> um, so I think that that is as much, um, uh, real emotional logic as there is to that plot. But I will say, so in the scene where he shows up in the bullpen car, which I think is meant to be read as romantic, right? And it's meant to be read as this funny romantic gesture. Um, <laughs> I don't love that he's done that, obviously. But in the scene itself, when he's in the room with her, I actually really like the shape of that scene um, because it is very much about him pursuing her. She says no. He hears that no. Um, and then she turns and she says, did you ever read Moby Dick? And that's when he turns around and he's like, oh, he's letting her be the driver in terms of does she actually want him to be in that room after he has, of course, walked himself into that room without asking permission. Um, so we don't, don't love the way the scene starts, but I do think that in terms of that scene demonstrating whatever growth you might think that he's had. Um, I do think that, that they, they pulled that off uh, a little. <laughs> yeah, one one so, thing I, uh, I feel yeah. like I need to do this for the sake of Cleveland. I need to put in context how important this movie is for, um, I, 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 I am horrified by some of the stuff, but I also think this is probably one of my favorite movies. And I know that I have a soft spot in, uh, just because it's about my team. Um, but growing up with a really horrible team and having a really horrible team, um, be that, had that be the punchline for, and the city be the punchline for a lot of things. This was a, this is a, if they cut out all the, and I, I get what you're saying, Kate, they needed to make, you know, Tom Berenger have an emotion. Pay, that payoff um, had to work uh, on, on multiple levels for different audiences, I guess. But for me, all they needed was the baseball. Uh, <laughs> the whole time, I mean, the, the best parts of the movie are on the field and with the, uh, you know, I think Lou Brown's lines and, and um, Harry Doyle's lines are just incredible. Um, you know, some of the some of the stuff that um, make this movie so fun. Um, if, if you take out Harry Doyle, I'm not sure this movie works at all. Um, but the the idea that this that they were going to move the team and that becoming the um, that being a, a real centerpiece of, of why uh, the, the team came together and um, how it all you know ends up paying off the end, even though it was you know uh, 
questionable at best in how they represented it in the, in the clubhouse. But um, I think the um, that it's it maybe not clear to everybody watching now, but that was actually going to happen. That was actually rumored to be happening. Um, that they were going to move, move the Cleveland Indians to Miami was 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 certainly talked about, um, and so that was a real fear for a lot of Cleveland fans. Um, Scorching and- take from 1989, by the way, that there was a real untapped baseball market in Miami. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, they eventually had a team in Miami, um, but they, and they did move the Cleveland Browns. The, the Browns got moved in 1995, so it it was a a, a real. Um, uh, it, the, the the end sequence of this movie, um, the last twenty minutes or whatever against the Yankees, and the the in the when it starts in the clubhouse and um, actually sorry the, the, this is not that scene but before when things were looking pretty bad um, and Jake says um, I guess there's only one one thing left to do win the whole fucking thing. That literally gives me goosebumps every fucking time I hear it. Every time. Um, and I will watch just that scene before playoff games uh, when Cleveland's playing a playoff game. Doesn't matter the sport, either. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's never paid off. Um, <laughs> but um, that scene is special. And that's another example of sort of how well movie is structured when you think about sort of the three-act film structure. And the first act is it starts off with Rachel's plan to take the team to Miami by coming in dead last. You meet all of these, you know, this ragtag crew of of degenerates who's going to be the team that's going to come in dead last. We see them in the minors. They're a total disaster. Act two is what takes place, you know, from when they get to the major league to that exact moment. There's only one thing left to do win the whole fucking thing. So it's all of act two, which is the main action of the movie is the journey of this team, which I agree. I think none of it works if you don't have sort of all of these incredible jokes that are happening throughout. Um, and largely from Bob Euchre. Is that how we're pronouncing his last name? Who I'm seeing on IMDb with professional baseball player, which is lovely. And the voice of the Um, Milwaukee Brewers for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, I think maybe still is. His timing is unbelievable. Yeah. So Good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's um, bizarre to hear him actually call a real baseball game. Sorry, Matthew. Uh, so, yeah, so the end of, of Act 2 being when the team finds out that the plot was always for them to lose, that they were never going to have jobs next year, no matter what they did, win or lose, it doesn't matter. The point was, you know, they're just pansies, basically, in this scheme. And and then this, this turn at the end of Act 2, well, the only thing left to do is win the whole fucking thing and then we know exactly what act three is going to be about can they win the whole fucking thing um is a really just terrific turn and a really great structure so i think you know part of why the movie works so well is you have this like really strong skeleton that then you can hang all of these you know sort of jokes and and character work and all this great stuff as well as all of this um uh horrifically racist stuff that you can also hang on on the structure so it's really it makes room for a lot of that i hadn't quite i hadn't quite realized until you said it like that that i spent the hour after i'd watched the movie last night thinking how is it that despite a sort of a lack of explanation despite multiple points in the 
doesn't quite add up despite the ending where you don't even find out how they do in the in the playoffs why did the film make total sense and work and it's because the simplicity of the of the structure and the way you just put it out is like you don't really need to an explanation of why they are only nine games back despite being like literally built to be disastrous uh, at the end of, of act two you don't really need any explanation of how uh charlie sheen's character is like terrible and then all of a sudden he's leading the league in strikeouts <laughs> uh because gets casually mentioned towards the end of the, <laughs> the movie it doesn't matter that they don't go into the playoffs the, the, the sort of the victory is 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 the is the is the thing is is is, is such a good structure and it, it there are so many such good jokes that all of that stuff doesn't really matter that much it's still enjoyable and I think, you know, the fact that the movie gets baseball so well, and, th- you know, I was thinking about this in the sequence where, you know, Wild Thing is such a great nickname for a pitcher who throws a lot of wild pitches, right? And then you've got the song, and then it all pays off in the in Act 3, in the playoff game, the the playoff, uh, you know, the, the runoff, what is it, to get into the playoff? Um, I'm not thinking of the word. But, you know, they play Wild Thing and the whole stadium's going crazy. And you have this guy who, when we first met him, looked like this, you know, really tough ex-con, crazy haircut, cut off, you know, sleeves, everything else. And he's wearing, like, these big black plastic glasses and a turtleneck <laughs> and walking in this kind of stiff way. And he looks like such a nerd. And they're playing Wild Thing and everyone's going nuts. And it's just, like, it's so great. It feels real. It feels like baseball, right? And so I think that some of those more ridiculous things, like suddenly this guy's leading the league in strikeouts. Okay, what about all the pitchers who were good at the beginning of the season who didn't, you know, lose <laughs> half a season throwing a ball into the dugout or whatever? Um I think we are willing to sort of suspend disbelief and buy those things a little bit because, you know, from the announcer to the fans, so much of the way they shoot this movie really feels like baseball. And so we were sort of more willing to play along. The, the um, uh, While we're on the strange things that I noticed for the first time in this movie, this time, why the lineup construction was bizarre in that last game, um, a game you have to win. Um, obviously, Willie Mays Hayes leads off, I believe. He's a fast you know, base stealer or whatnot. But apparently, we find out at the end of the movie, Jake Taylor's batting second. <laughs> the, the slowest, the catcher, is the guy who can't run, is batting second in the lineup. Um, <laughs> the guy who's probably washed up and having a good... So, they, so the, the outcome of the season not being revealed in this movie actually, I think, is one of the reasons why it holds up. You know, the, the, the fact, if they would have won the World Series at the end of it, that would have been a middle, maybe a little too schmaltzy. Um, which is honestly maybe why that love story piece always bothered me, because it is pretty schmaltzy. It's like pretty like not, it's so, it just seems it's distracting to me. Um, because, it, you know, it all works out for Tom Berenger in the end. Um, but just winning the pennant was what they, you know... <laughs> The what is what would Bob Uecker say? Um, the Indians won the pennant. The Indians won the pennant. Oh my God! The Indians won the pennant uh, is a pretty um, again another very um, memorable line for anybody from Cleveland. <laughs> but that just that being the outcome and that being the the thing they they celebrated and, and having defeated the the plot to take the team to Miami, um, you find out what happened in the end of the season uh, when in the second the sequel um, and. 
spoiler, they did not win the World Series. So I was actually thinking at the end, I was like, oh, this is kind of an interesting parallel to Moneyball, right? That that the point is that if you construct a team in a particular way, that team can win the pennant. Um and uh you know, in Moneyball, it happened because of uh, a devotion to a particular theory of statistics. And in this movie, it happened because the screenwriter said it did, um, which is <laughs> a different <laughs> way to set up that twist. Um, but but the idea that, you know, and also, obviously, the Yankees, bless their hearts, the consummate enemy, right? And I actually thought the casting of the opposing players who just, you know, they show up on the mound or they show up at the plate for little snippets. I thought that casting was so good. There were a few actors in particular whose whose faces were just like really hateable in the exact way, <laughs> and they just looked like you know a dick who plays for the Yankees. Who it's like if you are rooting for a team in that division, just every time that guy comes up to the plate, you're like, I hate that guy so much. And I thought that those those players in particular felt really really correct to me. Um, so yeah, God bless the Yankees for being you know what does it matter if you win the World Series really as long as you crush the Yankees' dream along the way. <laughs> this guy threw at his own kid in a father son game. Such a good line. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that and his eyes were just he was like handsome but with close set eyes in a way that was just like oh yeah yeah hated him it was it was really great. <laughs> um so I I don't know I, this movie movie coming out in 1989 doesn't feel like that long ago. Um but some of these things that Kate that you pointed out and Matthew you pointed out in terms of the things that are just jarring to see on the screen in a, in a major motion picture from 1989 um it, I, it doesn't it feels like ages ago um especially knowing that uh all this transpired with the, the Cleveland franchise too i mean like that's it is of an era <laughs> for for worse i guess but it definitely is of an era and it, i think it reinforced to me something that like i i it, when i was growing up in the late 90s and 2000s i kind of looked at um tv shows from the 70s and thought my god how did that even get on tv without realizing the stuff i was watching is still like i mean things things are relative because we make progress and I, i'm like i watch episodes of friends now and see things i didn't you know quite embarrassed to say I didn't notice the first time around and just think my god how did that how did that happen so it, 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 it I mean I can I can I can I can understand why people watched this film in 1989 and didn't really think that much of it it's because you know we grow and learn and the country's getting better I hope the country's getting better in 2020 a scorching <laughs> take from Matthew McGregor <laughs> 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 Some of us um, uh, no, but I think, you know, in thinking about, you know, the concept of the Overton window and what is acceptable and not acceptable at any given moment in time, and that that window is a moving target, right? And so a lot of what I think about as a writer, particularly, is the notion in American pop culture of this sort of neutral or default voice, which is actually quite explicitly a white voice, it's explicitly a male voice, a cis voice, a hetero voice, whatever, um, that those aren't, it's not a voice without its own opinions and characteristics and worldview. We've just sort of been beaten into thinking of mm. it that way because it's so ubiquitous and everything that's ever made. So in 1989, when you're looking at and a movie about baseball, mm -hmm. right, of all things, you know, of all the movies we've watched on 
uh, this podcast, how many have even had a meaningful female character, let alone, you know, a female protagonist or a non-white protagonist, you know, anything like that. So to say, okay, 30 years ago, what was the Overton window like then on top of, you know, it being a baseball movie uh, and set in a world where, uh, you know, for, I, I would say for better or for worse, but for, for worse, right, ineffably <laughs> for worse, um, racism has been part of it and sexism, misogyny, a huge part of it still is obviously, right? You know, it was like, what, two years ago that the Mets hired a woman in the front office and they were the first team ever to do so? Like, we're not really past that hump yet. So, mm. um, yeah, it makes total sense that sort of things that are horrifying us now would have been totally acceptable at that time um, in a movie like this. Um, but I think, yeah, uh, to echo, echo what Matthew says, it's it's good news that that Overton window has moved long enough that we're like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> what if what if we, we didn't make fun of, uh, you know, and, and also to say that the voodoo came from Cuba, it's like, it's not even an accurate, oh, can't even, can't even get into yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. It's like, the whole movie being horribly offensive about this religion and misname it and mischaracterize it and the, and you're not even gonna say correctly what country it comes from. It was really it felt unnecessary. And yet, I still think of hats for bats all the time. I think of hats for bats <laughs> once a week. Um, uh, but so um, that what you're so our conclusion here, um, I think really is raising a question for me. Obviously, this movie has held up um, still as a top 10 baseball film of all time. If some people have it but very high on that list. And I think it's partly, it's got to be because it's so freaking funny. I mean, the sub, as a baseball movie goes, there's a lot of really good jokes and baseball-specific jokes um, that baseball fans, I think, it must be the reason why um, that this is this still is is considered one of the, the best because I think most people watching it now either have a soft spot in their heart for it because they watched it and loved it when they were younger um, or they're from Cleveland or um, like people watching this for the first time and Matthew you're you're I guess you're in that audience does this reach the canon of greatest baseball movies because because of all what we're talking about I mean does it or just get completely eliminated from that it's a great question I mean, I, I imagine, I mean, f this is the Field of Dreams question, too, right? Like, what holds up in that movie um, and what, like, gets like, kind of taken, well, we don't get in the Field of Dreams here. We've already had that. <laughs> already had it out of Field of Dreams. Um, I, I, I mean, I would say that it, it does, I think it, it, it kind of, it, I would say this is like the the Barry Bonds of of baseball movies. It, it should get in the Hall of Fame, but it should have an asterisk. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's interesting. Um, when the, what would what would it say? Or maybe you... maybe it's the Pete Rose. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you follow that asterisk down to the bottom of the page, what does it say? <laughs> <laughs> It says in nineteen eighty nine it was totally acceptable to make a very, very sexist range of comments and, and include racism in your films. It should be viewed in that context. Um, uh, so the late eighties were a good I mean, time. That, that, that's my right. take. 
you know, to make to make a, a really unfair comparison, it's like, are there filmmaking things we can learn from Lenny Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will? Yes, but, but should we do it in the proper context? Also, yes. <laughs> oh boy. I, I thought my Barry Bonds comparison was pretty tough, but that's... <laughs> we, we went we went we went a bit more Hitler in our. <laughs> It's 2020. If you're not comparing something to Nazis, are you even making a comparison? <laughs> so we, we've we've naturally we've naturally walked into giving this uh, a rating and review out of five. So why don't we start with you because we've gone first on a lot of things. Yep. Given this is a movie dear to your heart, what are you giving it out of five? Where the lowest is zero point five. Uh, this gets five balls for me. Um, Cleveland wins the pennant, guys. I don't know if you got caught that at the end, but Cleveland wins the pennant. Uh, five <laughs> balls. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to say like three and a half, maybe even 3.75. Uh, my first quarter <laughs> ball. Three. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, there's, there's so... And I, and I think, again, you know, and this is what you're doing when you're writing comedy. You want a structure that supports jokes and really great jokes. Um, and this movie really achieves those things. And it really, to me, it, it gets baseball better than almost any baseball movie we've watched so far. Um, so I really, I give it uh, three and three quarters balls for that while while really taking away as many as I humanly can for, for all the misogyny and racism. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 pretty close to that. I, I was going to say three point five, um, partly because I respect the rules of of only going in in halves. Um, it, it, the, what a really what so, a really patriarchal for you to feel committed to only <laughs> going in these particular increments. <laughs> I I I really enjoyed it. It's a very good baseball movie. The laugh lines are incredibly good probably the best of any of the movies we've watched so far. Uh, but the egregiousness was of such a level of egregiousness that I, I can't give it any more than 3.5. And I feel a little bit guilty about saying 3.5 in the first place. Yeah. But I, uh, it, 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 I would watch it again. Yeah. It's, I think it's safe to say this is the funniest baseball movie. Um, but it doesn't hold up like, uh, it doesn't doesn't manage to hold up like Bull Durham does, like the other funny, really funny movies. Well, in the same way, um, can't all be Bull, Bull Durham. I, I didn't enjoy Bull Durham. I didn't enjoy that. I can't remember what I gave it, but I didn't enjoy it very much. I, I enjoyed this Bull movie Durham. more, despite the fact that I, I. I mean, I guess in a way, I almost enjoyed hating on the bad bits because it was something to keep me keep me entertained as well. So I don't know. I don't know. I would watch it again. I wish that it hadn't been so bad in the ways it was bad, but in the ways it was good, it was fantastic. Yeah. It's the the ways it's bad are often cartoonish, kind of like the Indians racist logo. Um it, it's it's like cartoonishly bad in some areas. But then that whole again, the love story, I can't it doesn't it doesn't work for me because the parts that are really problematic there are not cartoonish. Uh, or weren't meant to be a cartoonish at the time. Um, I think, you know, I think they save a lot in that love story because Rene Russo and Tom Berenger are such 
good actors and charismatic performers. And I think, you know, and they had great chemistry and it's really easy to buy the two of them. And of course, you know, the easiest uh, shortcut you can take in a story like that is by making the guy she's with a little bit terrible. So he's a little bit terrible. We get that she shouldn't be with him. We understand (laughs) that these two really love each other. They're both so attractive and charismatic. So I think they, they sort of like skirted under the wire of believability that way. But uh, to both of your points, uh, we shouldn't, Teach men to stalk women. <laughs> or maybe only only if you have a bullpen car. That's the only way anybody can chase anybody around is in a bullpen car. Um, men or women. It just that's what that's what you get to use. Police as well. So the existing uh, the existing loophole where domestic abusers can buy guns if they're not married to the woman they abused. Instead we have the bullpen car loophole where you can stalk a woman but only if you have the bullpen car. I, I accept that. I would take it. <laughs> It'd be pretty hard to hide. <laughs> it was great when he parked it on the street behind her cabriolet, which, like my my first car I ever bought for myself was a cabrio, and I have I have great affection for the cabriolet, and I loved that that was her car. And then the bullpen car parked behind it on the street. I was like, this is like my favorite thing. Like it's like that scene and the scene in While You Were Sleeping where the the furniture truck gets boxed in on the street. My two great romance. <laughs> Street parking. (laughs) Two great romance street parking. (laughs) Name of the episode. Anyway. Um, So (laughs) what else do we need to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you're interested, by the way, in in getting to know Dennis Haysbert better, um, I would really, really strongly recommend the film Far From Heaven, um, co-starring Julianne Moore, which is a film that takes place in the 50s. And it's a, it's an, a modernizing of um, a classic uh, film called All That Heaven Allows, which was a Rock Hudson movie. Um, and Far From Heaven is about uh, uh, Julianne Moore plays sort of a repressed housewife who falls in love with a black man played by Dennis Haysbert and it's it's a beautiful uh sensitive film uh so if you're looking to get to know what Dennis Haysbert can do when not uh being forced to lift weights in a jockstrap doing a bad accent I would recommend that film uh can't occur ball though um <laughs> I also just love sorry I, we can cut this out but I also love that they just fix that he he suddenly can hit the curveball. <laughs> like he was oh, yeah. clueless against offsuit pitches, and then <laughs> suddenly, anyway. Hmm. Hmm. So are we going to play baseball? Is, is baseball going to happen this year? Last week when we um, did an update, uh, Matthew and I both predicted that there would be baseball for better or for worse. There would be baseball in July at some point. Um, how do people feel now? <laughs> Two weeks later. I still think that I, th- I still think that they're they're heading for July, and I don't think there's much that would uh, uh, push them off that trajectory, uh, other than a outright labour dispute. And I don't think that I don't really think that that's in either side's interests. Not not enough for it to happen. So I think we're going to head there, and I think it's going to be a mistake. So I, I kind of feel how I did last week. I think that's where we're heading. There's too much money at stake. And um, the country is kind of psychologically past um, wanting to be in lockdown. So despite the fact that the country does need to be in lockdown and needs to be in lockdown for a long time because 
the lockdown period so far has not been used to set up the infrastructure needed to um, uh, mitigate the virus. Uh, it's going to happen, and I think that's going to be a terrible mistake. I would say I'm not. The only thing that makes me unsure is like, so in Los Angeles, for example, our safer at home um, order has already been extended through the end of July. So I I think it just depends. I don't know. Like, it's, it's obvious that this whole thing is going to play out as just a real conflict sort of among and between different factions. So I don't know. I guess it'll just have to be like... Um, Increasing shop like jurisdiction shopping, you know, um, where right. they'll have to they'll have to find a, a place where they're allowed to do it um, because you know certainly it won't be California. The the, the agreement between um, the owners and the uh, major league is that uh, in any jurisdiction where uh, mass gatherings of a size, even without crowds, um, aren't allowed, they would play in the nearest state where it is allowed. But I, I just think that's ludicrous. But I don't think that's necessarily gonna uh, gonna gonna stop them. But I I, I I do wonder how public opinion is going to react if the um, the the R rate and the uh, number of deaths continues to uh, be so devastating. I think there will be a point at which people just don't want to watch baseball because it is. Um, so devastating and the, the the health protocols they came out with i mean it's just like literally no high-fiving amongst the players i mean this is not a healthy environment if you can't if you literally can't even high-five to play during a baseball game is it healthy enough to play a baseball game it just seems kind of strange to me but they seem pretty determined because there's so much money on the table I, I've noticed there's no there was no prohibition on slapping someone on the ass. Um, so <laughs> that's still allowed. Um, I think we can get by. Uh, I, I'm I'm most I'm pretty more pessimistic now than I was before, mostly because uh, I just think that these all these states that are reopening too soon and and not being and, and the, where they are reopening, they're not taking this, uh, or enforcing the uh, precautions they need to. I just think we're going to see, uh, you know, a, another rise in, in cases and deaths in these states, you know, in the near term before they can even get off the ground with the new spring training and all that. So I don't know. I'm we're, I'm just pessimistic right now, looking at these pictures this weekend. <laughs> so, yeah, no. And yeah. if you're, if you, we don't have to make this a podcast about this, <laughs> but if you're interested in sort of a microcosm, just look at Orange County, where a few weeks ago there was sort of mass. We're not going to do what Newsom says. And people went to the beaches and people sort of started doing what they wanted, despite the stay at home uh, order that was statewide at the time. And now they're having a huge spike in cases and deaths. It's like, of course, that's exactly what's going to happen. Right. Right. And and even though even where there are uh, a loosening of the rules, um, there was one in, in Georgia where, you know, the, the governor said, you know, everyone just go back to the, the way you were local businesses were reporting that people just weren't you know just because you can open a bar doesn't mean people will go to the bar there was a one place i read in a um, newspaper saying that they usually have around 600 customers during the course of an evening and on their first night open they had two you know if people don't feel safe then you know they're not gonna uh, go out and obviously they're talking about playing this behind closed doors but in an atmosphere in which people don't want to go out themselves do they really want to enjoy 
baseball, worrying about everyone who's involved in making that baseball game happen. What about their health? I, 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 I you know, I, I think it will happen, but I think it's a mistake. Right. And sort of with, you know, a huge part of these reopening orders is it means that if you're, a, you know, a, a low wage worker who the bar is open, but you don't want to go to work because you don't want to risk your life, you're not eligible for unemployment under those circumstances. And I think with baseball, sort of the big question becomes less the players, less the owners, um, you, who you have to imagine every possible precaution will be taken to protect the player's health. But what about the security guards? What about you yeah, know yeah. the custodial yeah. staff? What about all the low, lower wage workers who yeah. are required to make those games happen? What's going to be going on to take care of their health? And will baseball fans sort of be willing to be vigilant and say, you know, if one security guard gets sick and dies, that's not acceptable to us, let alone one player? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look at the reaction that Sean Doolittle got from some when he, uh, you know, he posted this long Twitter thread about some of the health concerns he's got. Literally just like, if we can make it safe, I want to play. Here's the things I'm worried about, whether it's going to be safe or not. And you look down that list and there are no answers to almost any of those questions. Uh, I just think it's, um, you know, it's just putting money above above people's health and at least we have the KBO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, about to become a KBO podcast, I guess. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're ending on a pretty downer note. Sorry, guys. This is this is why people need, this is why we're willing to put up with almost anything for some legitimately good jokes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how badly we need them. Maybe we need like a forty-minute cut of, of Major League. That's that's just the the, the highlights that we <laughs> that's can enjoy. That's a good idea. That is a good idea. That is a good idea. It's just the baseball. Someone should write a change.org petition, release, uh, re-release Major League without the problematic stuff. <laughs> it's like the the plot line on season three of Arrested Development. When uh, speaking of <clears throat> problematic artistic endeavors, when um, maybe is a Hollywood. Ex- executive and she's like the movie's great it's only like 53 minutes long <laughs> I, I honestly think major league without the problematic bits would still be fantastic it, 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 it wouldn't you it would, be, it would make total sense you wouldn't lose anything of the story and it would be just as good better I actually, but, I mean, the, the, like, the, a, like a dub of Tom Berenger's lips are moving and the voiceover <laughs> is like, Lynn, I respect your wishes. <laughs> <laughs> right, Jonathan Haysbert's just using his regular voice. Like, I value my religious freedom and rich cultural heritage. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Pets> for bats. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's great. And honestly, you could... If you had to cut some of this stuff out and make it, it's 53 minutes long, I think I'd be fine with them tacking 30 minutes of just, like, random gameplay that of games that don't mean anything and there's no no particular highlights. I need that in my life now. I, I would rank, I like the boring baseball stuff to be added in. Like, um, surely there must be at least 20 to 30 minutes of uh, Harry Doyle outtakes that didn't make the movie. I'm sure that's... Well, Matthew, you have a DVD? I'm sure it's an extra. I'll go and look. I'll go and look at the DVD. There, there must be. I would watch an entire movie just of the commentary. There was, on that note, um, there was um, my my dad and I take a baseball trip every year, and several years ago we did Milwaukee, and when we went to Milwaukee, it just happened to be 
when so Cleveland it was when Cleveland was playing Milwaukee. We always time it around when Cleveland's playing a certain team, and it just happened to be Harry Doyle night. Harry Harry Doyle bobblehead night at the um, Milwaukee Stadium. Um, what's the name at Miller Park? Uh, and so and Harry Doyle, Bob Uecker is the is, at that point still the the voice of the Brewers. And the bobblehead they gave out had a little talking, like you press the button and it had like just a bit outside. Like it, it was great. It was like the most like fan. And they would show clips of the movie um, between innings. Uh, it was pretty great. Uh, maybe that's all they need is just the Harry Doyle <laughs> supercut. I'm sure the Harry Doyle supercut exists on YouTube. That feels like a good solution for everyone. Yeah. Go listen to the Harry Doyle. Watch the Harry Doyle supercut. <laughs> Um, all right. <clears throat> On that, should we wrap this up? Cool 58 minutes in? Yeah. Feels <laughs> <laughs> like we've done what we came to do. Yeah, this will be great. It, it, yeah. This is a this is a long episode, but it won't feel as long as the episode where we tossed coins for <laughs> three minutes. I had somebody they didn't answer the poll, Matthew, but I had somebody told me tell me that it literally was riveting. <laughs> and that that person was Justin Baraski. All right. Well, thank, 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 I was going to say thank Laura for us, but um, just Justin Baraski, that'll do. Um, and thank you for Justin uh, for listening all the way through again. Yeah. We'll get your badge in the As mail. Does. <laughs> all right. Should we shag those balls? Yeah. Let's just go right to it. Shag those balls. <laughs>